Welcome to the Arate Podcast, the podcast created to help senior executives and the organizations they lead live up to their full potential. Join us for cutting-edge interviews with leading senior executive and board members across all industry sectors and for practical tips to accelerate your executive career. And now, here's your host, Richard Triggs. Well, Shane, uh, welcome to the podcast. Fantastic to have you along and uh, really looking forward to learning more about your business, Greenbox, and uh, and your story. Perhaps uh, just to get things started, just tell us a little bit, please, about your current professional responsibilities. Sure. Well, thank you very much. Um, I'm uh, currently the executive director uh, and founder at Greenbox. Um, I've been with Greenbox for 21 years, since the very beginning. Right. And uh, my responsibilities... um, I'm mostly um, um, for the boardroom. My, my role is mostly being a member of the board, uh, along with others, um, to guide you know the direction, the strategic direction of the business, and ensure that our governance and compliance um, measures are in place. And so, 21 years uh, when you started. So I'm just trying to think back. So that would be about 1990, right? 1990. No way. <laughs> That's 31 years. It was actually March. Oh, sorry, 2000. I beg your pardon. Two two thousand. <laughs> <laughs> That's my terrible mask. I'm trying oh, to make your it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, in around two thousand. Wow. I, I guess um, no doubt your business has changed substantively over that time, and also the industry that you're working in um, mm. would have been through some incredible change uh, over that period, which would be good to uh, you know uh, focus on a little bit later. But just give us a sense of green boxes as it is now. What sort of mm. services do you provide? What types of clients do you have? The size of the business and so on. Sure. Listen, Greenbox has certainly grown considerably since our early days, where we were primarily focused on delivering services to leasing financiers who had large fleets of computer equipment they were looking to have managed at end of use or end of lease. Um, Greenbox today is a company that provides a suite of services focused around IT asset hardware, um, and particularly we focus on the period of time um, um, where equipment is being replaced or well, the fleet is being, uh, new fleets are being moved in, old fleets are being moved out. Uh, we tend to deal with large corporate and government clients, uh, typically with minimum 200 seats, but really we're targeting organisations with 500 seats plus. Um, we do a lot with federal government. Uh, Department of Defence is one of our um, very special customers. Our relationship with them is has been uh, in place for more than seven years, uh, and we've really worked very closely with Defence to build up, you know, a capability to um, help ensure that their data is safe at end of use, and of course, their environmental commitments are being met. But we provide a very similar set of services to a number of large organisations, both directly mm-hmm. and indirectly, um, via an OEM, a hardware OEM, or through a reseller channel or channel of some sort. So for the uh, the less technologically savvy people out there, including me, so if I understand correctly, so what happens is they're using a particular piece of hardware, a, a desktop computer or what have you, and then at that point that it needs to be replaced, you, um, uh, you remove it, you essentially ensure that all the data that was on it has been cleaned so that is there's no potential for that data to fall into a 
you know, uh, other people's hands, and then you refurbish and on-sell it. Is that correct? Yeah, that's certainly the, the second half of the life cycle that we that we take care of. So imagine a scenario, uh, might be best illustrated by a scenario, um, imagine a, a situation where you have a large manufacturer of IT hardware, of which Greenbox deals with pretty much all of them. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a large government or corporate client that is buying hundreds or even thousands of machines. Those machines will typically be delivered firstly to Greenbox. Uh, we'll put them through a range of services depending on the customer need, uh, which can include uh, some form of imaging, um, creating fixed asset registers, asset tagging, uh, the hardware and software changes. We then work closely with the client to deploy them to their site, usually in in large state or national um, um, logistics programs, Um, deploy them to site, uh, go through um, data transfer if needed, user acceptance, uh, some on-site support while the user becomes familiar with the new hardware and software environment. And then, of course, uh, removal of the old machine um, at the same time, we bring them back to our facility and just like you mentioned, we put them through a detailed audit process uh, where we clearly describe what items we're handling, the condition those items are in, put them through some very stringent data security processes, which can include software wiping, as well as hardware destruction, such as shredding hard drives, mm-hmm. and then ultimately taking that equipment to market um, to either resell it or if it's... If it's um, of no commercial value, put it through a, um, a very closed-loop recycling program. But the, the key difference that Greenbox represents um, compared to most IT suppliers, that Greenbox provides a service, but we also generate a revenue stream for the customer. Mm-hmm. So by taking this um, end-of-use product back to market and putting it into secondary markets, we generate a, a, um, a revenue stream. And that revenue stream um, can be used and typically is used to pay down the rest of the services surrounding, you know, fleet replacement. So really, you can imagine a scenario where a customer wants to um, move from one, you know, particular fleet of IT hardware to, to another. Um, Greenbox's ultimate solution is to do all the, all of the things that are involved in that, uh, from, from technical and logistical tasks, um, right through to that disposal portion of it. Um, and do all of that for less than the cost uh, or less than the, the amount of um, sale proceeds we generate um, as a result of the, the remarketing of the item. So that's our key value proposition. It's a, it's a zero or, or low-cost fleet replacement um, um, service. Okay. And what about for the period that the user is um, using the piece of uh, hardware you know, your sort of outsourced uh, IT support type functions, do you do that as well or is that handled by another, uh, by other companies? Look, typically that sort of in-life service is provided by, you know, an organisation, you know, you know, typically by an OEM really or, or subcontractor of theirs who's, who's um, specialised in that. Greenbox does get involved um, in, in, in certain types of in-life service. We do certain types of... Um, um, uh, upgrade work or we do audit work for customers um, but typically we don't get too involved at that sort of in-life okay. stage of, it, of an asset um, we typically uh, leave that to, to an OEM or, or, or whoever supplied the equipment to begin with uh, we do however get um, actively involved in supporting equipment that falls outside of the warranty mm-hmm. so either 
the equipment is being used for a period of time that's, that, that exceeds the original warranty period, or alternatively, there's some kind of um, you know problem with the, the asset that falls outside the OEM warranty. So Greenbox does get involved in in out of warranty repairs and fixes and supporting users um, during okay. that um, time. And, and Steve, is it more where they're engaging you to run a project to replace, you know, as you said, hundreds of computers at one time, or are there also clients where you're just sort of, you know, you might be doing, you know, a smaller amount, but on an ongoing basis? Yeah, we do both. Uh, okay. Being on, on customer strategy. We certainly have some customers who like to, you know, what, as we call, um, as we say, roll a fleet um, in, in a large um, single roll every, say, three to four years, and others do it on a more of a um, continuous basis. And we, we uh, operate in, in both scenarios. Often when we're working with customers on a, on a continuous basis, um, we'll embed Greenbox staff within their organisation. Um, so part of that rolling refresh um, is effectively outsourced to Greenbox. Fantastic. And uh, head office in Brisbane, offices up and down the east coast of Australia, including New Zealand. Is that right? That's right. Yep. And uh, and what sort of um, headcount do you have in the business now? Uh, we've got uh, over 100 full-time equivalents. Uh, we obviously use a lot of uh, contract and casual labour um, at times where we have peak um, um, deployment and install work as well. So typically right. about 100, 100 or a fraction over 100 FTEs. Okay, well, that's awesome. Let's uh, come back and talk a bit more about Greenbox uh, a little bit later. But uh, I, one of the reasons for this podcast is there are many people who listen who are aspiring business owners or CEOs, and they love to hear the story of uh, those who have walked the path before them. So why don't we go back a bit in time? Uh, Shane, uh, tell us a little bit about you know where you were born and early life, mum and dad, and uh, growing up, et cetera. Gee, we're going back now. Uh, <laughs> so listen, Greenbox, uh, well, Shane, uh, myself, of course, uh, I grew up in a place called Maryborough, yes, which is about a three-hour drive north of Brisbane, just inland, about 20 minutes from Harvey Bay. So a bit of a country boy, um, but I uh, grew up in the town of Maryborough, the city of Maryborough. Um, I was actually, a, um, um, uh, I went to university at 17, so I moved to Brisbane. Um, I was a, actually a music student. I Spent four years at the Conservatorium of Music and, um, and thoroughly enjoyed my time as um, you know a budding professional musician, orchestral oh. musician. I say, what and, was your instrument? Well, I don't like to tell people this because people get the wrong idea. Um, but I was actually a tuba player, a literary okay. player, like my secondary study or second study. But um, people tend to have all sorts of strange ideas as to what a tuba really does. Oh, fair um, enough. I actually went to the Conservatorium as well. Did uh, you really? I didn't last four years. I did a. Uh, a 12-month uh, jazz course there uh, as I was an aspiring musician. And, uh, yeah, it was a, a, an amazing experience. And so was music something that your parents were involved in? Yeah, they, they were. My, my father was a, a tenor horn player. He was a national brass band uh, champion um, solo tenor horn player. Um, my brother is a professional musician. Um, he does a lot of live work and recording work. Uh, on saxophone, and uh, so I guess music is somewhat in our blood. Oh, having said that, having said that, I gave it all away mm -hmm. after my final recital at university after four years. Thought this is um, this is <laughs> a difficult lifestyle, oh, and sure. um, so I traded that in um, for a new um, a new line of work. I, I, I moved to Sydney and um, began work as a settlements clerk and a, an IT 
leasing financier. Mm-hmm. And that's what ultimately led um, to me working uh, for um, a company called AT&T Capital um, and, of course, Macquarie Bank. And really, it was it whilst I was at Macquarie Bank that I you know, conceived this idea of a, of a company or, or a business service like Greenbox that just didn't exist in our market. And so when you were with Macquarie, uh, what sort of gestated this idea of wanting to be a, a business owner rather than an executive employee? Well, that's a good, good question, actually. I think what, what um, appealed to me was the, the entrepreneurial nature um, or the culture within Macquarie Bank that I experienced at the time. Um, I enjoyed that entrepreneurial um, um, culture that it had to the point where I thought I'd like to do something for myself and that intersected with me uh, in the role that I had at Macquarie Bank, seeing an opportunity in the market that I was immediately involved with. Mm-hmm. So it was the combination of those two things that led to conceiving the idea of Greenbox. And so I was working for an area of the bank um, that was leasing uh, very large fleets of computer equipment to, to big corporate and government clients. Um, and we were, the, the product, the finance product was uh, what's called operating lease, which meant that a, a customer would would lease these large fleets um, of equipment for a fixed term and then end of lease, simply return the equipment to the to the financier, this, in this case being Macquarie Bank, uh, and then go ahead and, and purchase or finance some new equipment. So we were in a situation, of course, where we were taking delivery or, or needed to be you know, set up to be able to handle large fleets of computer equipment, um, be able to handle that um, um, and ultimately to be able to sell it and realise the investment the bank had made in those that, those fleets. And really at the time, and this does go back to, you know, 2020, and I was working in the sector before that, it was, um, there really wasn't any specialist providers of, of um, end-of-use services in the marketplace. And Greenbox to this day has a particular type of DNA that is very different to virtually all of our competitors um, Greenbox was designed from the ground up and still very much carries the DNA um, um, that's designed to provide a service to an owner of large fleets of IT equipment or large volumes of IT equipment. The vast majority of you know um, what we call ITADs or IT asset disposals um, um, companies in Australia really started off as something different and have morphed into providing a service of some kind. Um, ultimately, they were they were designed to be traders of used equipment, or they were an auction house. Um, ultimately, the, the IT equipment at the end of, or the secondhand IT equipment they were handling, um, um, was a, was the product that they were looking to just on sell for the purpose of making margin. Whereas Greenbox t- took a very different approach. We considered the needs um, that large owners of, sorry, owners of large fleets of computer equipment had and designed a service from the ground up to cater for that, part of which was the on-sale of the goods. Mm-hmm. So it's a very different approach. And like I said, it, it goes to the very DNA of the Greenbox is built on is that we are um, very much focused on providing that service to, to those who own the goods as opposed to just looking for a way to satisfy the supply that we need um, to sell the goods and, and, and generate margin. Got it. And so it no doubt required a leap of faith, a leap of faith on your part to uh, mm. to start this business. 
what were some of the things in the back of your mind that you thought, well, if I'm going to really make a success of this, um, not only in terms of preparing yourself to start up, but also in terms of, you know, moving from, you know, being in a leadership role to now being an owner and in terms of your own professional development in order to make sure that uh, you had the the right tools in the toolbox. Did you give a lot of think, uh, thinking to that or did you just kind of wing it? Oh, you know what? Um, I, I just I just winged it. <laughs> I didn't put a lot of thought into it. Uh, and I can honestly say, and I've said this many times over the years, that if I had have known at the time the things I know now, I probably wouldn't have gone into business for myself. Yes, I um, can concur with that for sure. <laughs> it's it's a, a brutal and bloody way to, um, to make a living in the early days in particular. Um, I can still remember sitting at a, at a desk with a PC plugged into a phone line and that was Greenbox. Um, you know, we had subcontracting arrangements all over the place to, to provide the actual arms and legs that we needed and um, I was running this thing from a desk it's very different now. We have five facilities across uh, Australia and New Zealand um, and quite a sophisticated business um, that's all wrapped up in some very um, stringent um, um, quality control uh, and accountability mechanisms. So it was, a, it was a very different look back then, I can tell you. And I, I, in terms of being prepared or tooling up or whatever else, I had no idea, but I jumped in and gave it a go and I made a lot of mistakes I learned a lot of things, um, and I think that um, that you know, if you can survive those first five years or so, yeah, um, you, you know, you're more likely to survive long term, which we have. Well, that's excellent. And so, uh, so you started the business, you a computer and a desk. What was probably one of the first key milestones in the journey to where you are now? You know, what, what uh, perhaps a particular step change or something that happened to start you, you know, on this um, substantive growth phase? Yeah, look, I think it was, I think whilst I started the business with a with an existing client, Macquarie Bank was very generous in supporting me uh, from leaving the bank um, and then utilising me as a supplier for a period of time. Where the real step change for me was when I would go and speak with um, other leasing financiers and being able to talk to them specifically about what their needs were and have a service that was designed to meet their needs. So meeting the market and the understanding that when you really take the time to listen to a market, to listen to what your customers want um, and design something specifically around that, um, you know, great relationships and great business follows. But it's, you know, I think today... Um, that lesson still holds true with Greenbox. We try very, very hard to, to be connected to market, to listen to our, what our customers are saying and making sure that whatever we build, we build um, or, or whatever we do, whatever we build, whatever we create is directly aligned with this market. Mm-hmm. And um, you fulfilled the role yourself of CEO for 19 years or so. And then in 2019, you know, stepped into your, um, your new role in the business, being on the board as an executive director and so on. What was it that, you know, um, happened that made you think that, uh, okay, it might be time for me to, to step into the executive director role and then bring in a CEO to run the business? Yeah, look, for, for me, it, it was, you know, the absolute realisation that, you know, I'd taken the business as far as I could have 
CEO. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a certain paradigm um, that I was working in, um, and that was good for a period of time. Um, it was relevant for a period of time, but we needed um, a professional CEO to take a look at this business um, through a very different set of eyes and to, I guess, corporatize it. Um, that was that was what was needed for Greenbox to, to really um, prepare ourselves to scale. We had to first first move to that change of thinking, that corporatization that I mentioned, uh, to lay that deep, solid foundation we needed to, to build scale on that. And that could only have happened through me moving out of the role, firstly, mm-hmm. um, and secondly, bringing in a CEO um, into that role to do that. And had you, sorry, Shane, had you had a board prior to that or uh, was the board structure put in simultaneously? No, the board structure had been in place for a couple of years prior to that. Mm -hmm. Um, We certainly should have had a a proper board in place for many years earlier, really. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, like so many businesses um, that that start off as being small businesses with um, sole shareholder, sole director, CEO, you know, you, you, I guess you're, you're reluctant to bring others in. Um, once I did that, once I brought in, you know, some other people, um, I quickly realised that there was a lot more to be gained by bringing expertise into the business mm-hmm. uh, and allowing that expert, expertise to grow and giving it um, giving it the space it needed at, at board level. So, you know, the board most certainly, um, uh, some, at sometimes not so gently, um, really showed me that thinking needed to change um, and I benefited greatly from it. And prior to the board, had you at any point had a business coach or, uh, you know, advisors in that capacity or you pretty much run your own show up until that point? Look, I've always kept good company um, in terms of uh, being around other business people, um, particularly business people who are who own their own business or have grown their own business, a lot of entrepreneurial type characters. Um, so whilst I wouldn't say I had any sort of formal mentors, there are most definitely individuals that come to mind who I saw particular um, uh, character traits, particular ways of doing things, particular experiences that I looked at and thought, mm-hmm. you know, I can really learn from them. Mm-hmm. You said earlier that, you know, you've got some unique uh uh, your unique selling proposition is your ability to understand your client's need and, and tailor to that. Um, given that you were operating in, you know, what uh, was fairly uncharted waters in terms of, you know, the actual service delivery and something that you were doing, were you looking outwards at um, examples of similar businesses internationally or perhaps other businesses in different areas and you'd look at them and you'd go, I really like what they're doing. How can I adapt that to suit my space? How much of a mm. sort of outward focus did you have on on sort of building your own uh, tools in order to continue to create and innovate? Oh, look, um, I've kept a very close line what, uh, close line what was happening internationally right throughout. I was very fortunate before I started at Macquarie Bank. Um, I was working at AT&T Capital. Um, and I had a, a, an, an Asia-Pacific responsibility. Um, and AT&T Capital um, had their head office in New Jersey, and they had a whole bunch of you know other asset managers like myself responsible for the different regions around the world. And we would spend quite a bit of time um, together in New Jersey. Um, and that really gave me 
a perspective that many in Australia didn't have at the time and probably haven't had since. Um, coming together with other individuals um, who had this global perspective and, you know, having a facilitator, you know, being able to assist us come together and, and gain that wider perspective was really important. And through that process, I saw a lot of what we call ITAD, so IT um, asset disposal companies like Greenbox operating throughout the world. Um, I saw a lot of great things that were happening. I saw some things that weren't so great. Some of those relationships that I formed right back prior to 2000, I still, still have in place. Um, and most definitely, I've, I've kept a very close eye on what's happening in the international market. Australia has traditionally mirrored what's been happening in, in the more advanced um, IT um, geographies like uh, North America. So keeping a close eye on what was happening internationally was, was an important way of Greenbox um, keeping ahead. Mm-hmm. Mm. And so 2019 comes along, uh, you made a decision to step out of the CEO role and also you've got a chair. How, how, you know, I'm asking this probably more for my benefit than others, but how, how did you go in terms of your own mindset of obviously, you know, when you're having ultimate control and, and driving the business, you know, it, it's essentially, it's yours and it's your um, your vision and your execution. Now you're suddenly in a situation where you've got a board who are helping to set strategy or taking ultimate responsibility for strategy and a CEO who's got ultimate responsibility for delivering on that strategy. How, how did you sort of uh, adjust yourself to that new sort of framework? Gosh, you know, it's a question that, that only um, other business owners uh, tend to ask. <laughs> Those that either could anticipate um, what's up ahead for them or perhaps or, or have been through it. But it's a difficult thing. Mm. It's a really difficult thing. And it wasn't so much just the exit from the CEO role. It was, the, it was, um, it was stepping back from the business altogether. When, you, when something has consumed your attentions for a long period of time, and, and I should say, um, and, and my, my family's as well, um, stepping out of that was difficult. And then, you know, really taking on that director's mindset fully. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as a, as, a, as a CEO who is also a director, you know, you can't really take on that director's mindset. You, mm-hmm. you, you can't do both. So for me to step into that, step back from the CEO role into the director's role and look at the business differently or, or attempt to look at the business differently initially was very, very difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, it took me some time. I had a very understanding board. Um, there was some understanding. They banned me from coming from the office. <laughs> I wasn't allowed anywhere near it. Um, it was important, made clear to me how important it was to give the incoming CEO plenty of space to do what they had to do mm-hmm. and give the business plenty of opportunity to wean off um, somebody who'd been in place for a long time. Mm-hmm. And of course, give me the opportunity to, you know, take off my CEO cloak and put on my director's cloak. And it's an entirely different way of thinking. Mm-hmm. And, and I that, note, that was difficult. Yeah. I note from your LinkedIn profile was pretty much right at that time that you went and did your graduate course at the AICD. So was part of that to, uh, you know, to really help you to um, to mentally shift into that new space? Um, yeah. Most definitely. I, I found the director's course um, 
uh, an exceptional course in um, really having people take on that, that thing called the director's mindset. And there's mm -hmm. quite a lot that term is used frequently throughout the, the course. Um, that was really important. Now, again, I should have done it years earlier. Mm -hmm. I've been a member of the AICD for oh, many years, but I hadn't done the course. Mm -hmm. um, for those who haven't done the course, you know, it's not a, it's not a, um, you shouldn't take it lightly. It requires some commitment for mm -hmm. sure. And it's not an easy course. And it's a very challenging course um, in terms of the way you think. Mm. And the course really, if nothing else, it is designed to, to get you to think about business in a different way to those who are, you know, executives or practitioners within a business. Absolutely. In fact, uh, I, I would suggest I probably get half a dozen to a dozen people a week who contact me and say, oh, Richard, I'm looking at getting moving into a portfolio career. I'd love to get some board roles. Uh, how do I go about it? And I say, well, the first thing you have to do no. is you do the graduate course at AICD. It is not mandatory, but it is so close to mandatory that uh, no. uh, I think people who expect to be able to take him seriously as a non-executive director without having done that mm. um, uh really going to limit their opportunities and of course and i'm in a very similar situation in that i've just appointed somebody onto my external board and uh you know i've been a member for aicd of many years i'm not a graduate because i've never wanted to be a board director but now that uh, i essentially will be having a board for arate you know i need to get there and, and swallow my own medicine all right go, and do, go and do it that's all <laughs> i can say go and do it i, I benefited greatly I really did. i'm sure you would too Mm. So looking to the future now, um, Shane, uh, you know, because of our conversations prior to this podcast, your business is in great shape. You, you've had a really uh, 12 months of um, uh, sort of reinvigoration of some systems and processes and, and uh, you've got so many exciting things on the go. Mm. Um, if you look out to the future now, well, what are some of the things that you're excited about for uh, Greenbox? Oh, wow. You know, I, I am excited about it. I, I can tell you, I, I really am. Um, you know, I guess you know, this is a business that I'm that I'm very comfortable with continuing to invest in. Um, firstly, mm -hmm. um, Greenbox has very strong um, uh, growth ambitions. Um, indicators of success that we have in place, you know, show that we are well on track to, you know, um, continuing to grow, to continue to um, take market share from our competitors. Um, we're very ambitious. Um, we see a lot of um, changes in the market, a lot of them are security related. Um, there is an overwhelming um, you know, move to more sustainable thinking across uh, the community in general. Uh, and of course, the two key value propositions that Greenbox represents manifested through our services is you know, data security, so handling sensitive information and which, which is um, you know, contained on the devices that we, we, we carry. Uh, what we manage, ensuring that that is properly dealt with before it goes to market. And of course, secondly, making sure that, you know, we have a zero zero landfill result. Mm. Um, very, very important. So we're seeing a lot of, you know, there, there's, there's a, 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 you know, the, the two important themes that we're seeing, not just in the IT industry, but but, but more broadly, uh, and Greenbox is absolutely positioned, you know, very, very well. To, to cater it to the needs um, that are driven by those by those sentiments. So we we have um, we're in place, like I said, Brisbane, Sydney, Melbourne, Canberra, uh, in Auckland. Um, 
We have ambitions to expand that, um, that footprint further. Um, we have very strong organic growth plans. Um, we also have some inorganic growth plans mm -hmm. um, that we are making a lot of, putting a lot of time into as well. So we, we see that this market um, currently as being underserviced in many ways. Uh, we see a community sentiment that is consistent with the value proposition that Greenbox offers, and we've made significant investments uh, to ensure our business is ready to, to cater for increased demand by way of systems, facilities, training of staff, um, um, you know, growing a management team, uh, bringing on in, you know, in a first-class board, um, and um, really stepping up. So it's, I'm, I'm excited. Fantastic. And when you talk about inorganic growth, um, from an acquisition strategy perspective, uh, yeah. is it about acquiring more of people who do the same or is it about acquiring uh, businesses which offer different yet um, synergistic solutions to you or is it a combination of both? I think it'll be a combination of both. So we, we have one acquisition that we've completed uh, in New Zealand. We bought a company across there in New Zealand called Recitech. Um, that was um, a provider of services very similar to Greenbox, um, although it was it had it le had less in the way of life cycle services and more just in terms of disposal. We certainly see um, the importance of building a critical mass. Um, our service type relies on having geographic footprint and bricks and mortar. Um, that's something that you know is expensive and it can only really be made be maintained and, and made sustainable through significant volume. So, you know, we've got, we, we, we need volume and we can get that, like I said, through organic means, but also inorganic means mm -hmm. that we're looking at. But in addition to that, you know, we, we see opportunities to um, elongate our product offering. Um, typically, most of our service um, services based around the, I guess, the pre-life of an item, so before it goes into operation at a customer's site and then when a customer is finished with it. Mm -hmm. uh, and the services that are required through that life cycle where we don't provide a lot of, um, for us, it would make it a lot of sense for us to be filling out some of the gaps in our service mm -hmm. um, to, to morph into to a more of a full life cycle service. Mm. Well, I look at your business and just going back to what you were saying a couple of moments ago, uh, what a magnificent overlap of... Uh, sustainability with technology and data security three mm. you know critical things that literally you're watching on the news on almost a daily basis uh so um the stars are aligning or the stars continue to align for you i should say yeah look it's, it's true in, in many ways um you know people people feel good about doing the right thing with their electronic equipment e-waste as we call it our industry um, we feel good about not contributing to the landfill problem. Electronic waste is, is a hazardous waste and one of the largest growing waste streams in the world. You know, we, by, by doing what we do, we divert that equipment from land waste and we put it into the, the hands of secondary users. So we, we're, we feel good about that. Our customers feel good about that. Um, we've managed to be able to do that in such a way that creates a benefit to the customer, customer as well. So it's not mm -hmm. just a feel-good transaction there's a, there's a financial reality to it as well which is very positive and that's that's the key to making a whole service work if you want 
to support sustainability and data security objectives, you've got to do it in such a way that makes sense to the mm-hmm. customer. And again, getting back to the DNA of Greenbox, it's about listening to the customer and doing what the customer needs. Um, so it's a matter of taking this idea of, you know, the sustainable idea and taking this idea of data security and putting that into a format that's genuinely consumable by a large organisation or, or government entity. And that's what makes it work. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, look, before we wrap this conversation up, uh, Shane, because I appreciate you've probably got other things to get on with, uh, tell us a little bit about, you know, Shane, when he's not at work. Uh, what are the things that you like to do to keep the petrol tank full? Oh, gosh. This is a boring conversation. <laughs> oh, I, there's, oh, there's work, Shane, and there's home, Shane. And um, work, Shane's always busy. Um, I drive everybody crazy at home because I'm working. Um, but I've got um, a lovely wife and five children. So, yeah. um, you know, there's not a lot of time left over between five children and a, and a business. Um, so, um, you know, I, I enjoy family. I enjoy spending a lot of time with my family. Um, I've got um, children um, who range from one and a half years of age to 20 years of age. So okay. I've got all sorts of interests um, that have to align with the interests of those those people. So, um it's um it's it's a busy life I live and it's a it's... little bit chaotic at times as well. <laughs> Five kids far out the you are. <laughs> sounds, uh, sounds almost overwhelming. And when uh, we can finally start to travel overseas again, uh, have you got anywhere that you're excited about taking your family? Oh heck yeah, we love travel. We we love travelling together. Um, I, I miss some. Um, um, I think particularly um, it might be some time before we can get back there, of course. But I, I love Myanmar. Um, I love Cambodia, mm-hmm. um, and for a, a little bit of a lighter holiday, I love Bali, of course. Uh-huh. Uh, not the not the typical spots that Boganovies go to, <laughs> but some no. of the nicer places. So, yeah, South I miss e- travel. Right, Southeast Asia is your thing, huh? Well, yeah, I, I love other places as well, but Southeast Asia um, is a, is a shorter flight, uh, sure. and when you've got um, little ones, um, yeah. you know, eight hours versus twenty four hours, um, you know makes a very big difference to a, to a holiday. So Southeast Asia is one of the places we go to. Yeah. Indeed. Oh, that's excellent, Shane. Great to uh, spend this time with you today, get to know a bit more about you and the business and the, the, the backstory. Uh, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. I hope you have too. And uh, have a fantastic afternoon. Terrific. Thank you, Richard. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Arate Podcast with Richard Treeks. For show notes and other resources, please visit aratepodcast.com. While you are there, you can subscribe for future episodes so you can continue your own journey towards realizing your full potential as a senior executive. And please be sure to share this and other episodes with your friends and colleagues. The Arate Podcast is brought to you by the Experts On Air Podcast Network.